So you want to go to art school? Well, lucky for you. The first struggle of being an art student is that people think that your major is easy. I kind of want to go to art school. The age-old question about art school. Do you go or not? And why? In this age of rocketing tuition costs, less optimism about the job prospects, and the specter of gentrification that will undoubtedly have the impact on the lives of artists just starting out in their careers, well, all these are important questions. So in this episode, we're going to talk to Roseanne Summerson, who's not only an accomplished furniture designer, but also the president of the Rhode Island School of Design the fabled private art school located in Providence, Rhode Island. And many of you might know it by its more affectionate moniker as RISD. She's the head of the school, and we invited her in to ask how the fabled art school is adapting to modern times. I'm Hadag Vartanyan, and this is the Art Movements podcast from Hyperallergic. Hi, Roseanne. Hi, how are you? Thank you for joining us. I wanted to talk to you about what's going on at RISD and now your vision of what this art school, this fabled art school that's had a very long history and has fostered so many great talented designers and artists through the last century, right? So what's going on there? What should we know about? Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to talk about RISD. It's actually a really exciting time. And before I talk specifically about RISD, I just want to anchor this in the moment that we're living in, which is really a time when there's unbelievable change, when there's unbelievable complexity, lots of problems to solve, lots of anxiety. Yeah, that's so, an understatement. <laughs> yeah. So where are the places where the good thinking is happening that can actually right. make improvements and impact in the world? And Art and design schools are really places right now that are cultivating the kind of thinking and action that is set about to make positive change. So we're in a landscape of time that is calling for us to act differently. And as you said, RISD has a really great legacy, a long history. We're going to be 150 in 2027. Wow. And so we have a credibility and a kind of track record that puts us in a unique position of responsibility. And I would say that um, we're launching a new strategic plan actually this month, hot off the press. Great. And that will take us through to our 150th year. So it's awesome. a seven-year plan. And it's really looking at how we can take what is so strong at RISD and build on it and amplify it and have it create more impact in the world. I love it. Let's talk about that in a second. I want to get a little bit of background for those who don't know RISD. So it stands for the Rhode Island School of Design. Yeah. Now, what should they know about the early history and the evolution of RISD over the years? Sure. Well, RISD was actually started by women at a time before women had the right to vote. So I'm very proud of that. Yeah. And what happened was, in a nutshell, I'll tell you that there was a centennial in Philadelphia in 1876 where the best innovative show pieces of technology were to be launched. And Rhode Island at the time was the Silicon Valley of the Industrial Revolution. Right. That's where all the innovations were happening in manufacturing and design and material use and training. And so there was an incredibly successful centennial, which had things like the coilless steam engine, which was shipped down in enormous expense to Philadelphia. 
and also the wares that were being made in textiles and silver and other things in the, from the region. At the end of the centennial, the, the women who had organized the funding for that had a balance of about $1,600. Mm-hmm. And they were at odds about what to do with it. There were two camps. One wanted to do a public fountain, which would be not just for display, but a source of water. Mm-hmm. And one would be a school. And the school won out. And I like to say, <laughs> we created a wellspring of another kind. That's right. And that, that was part of that whole era, too, where people were doing these sort of city beautiful projects and trying to make cities more livable and that's better. Right. So We're still doing that. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's a never-ending project, yes. so that's for sure. So what was your first sort of exposure to RISD? How did you find out about this? Yeah, school? it seems so long ago. I was interested in photography, and my brother had created a kind of ad hoc dark room in our basement. And he brought me down one day and said, watch this. And he put this blank sheet of paper in this bath. We still used film and, and right. you know, development baths. And this amazing picture came out. And it just blew my mind. And I Magic. thought, I want to do that. Yeah. And my brother was actually, he was, you know, young. He was a teenager. But he actually did the cover of the Woodstock program. That was his photograph. No and way! He, he got to travel with Junior Wells and Buddy Guy and all these great Chicago blues artists. So in his room were these six-foot posters of his images. So I was very impressed. And I asked a friend of mine, where do you go to study photography? And he said, well, there's this place in Rhode Island, RISD, Aaron Siskin, Harry Callahan are there. So I decided that that's where I wanted to apply. And I took a year off between high school. I graduated high school a year early. And And where did you grow up? Outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Got it. And I, long story, but went off and did some other things during that year and did a lot of photography. And I was able to find this tiny little school in the northern part of the countryside in Denmark Mm -hmm. where um, we did large format photography work, 4x5 and 8x10, made all, all our own chemicals from things that we got at the local pharmacy. It was very technical. And I used that as a portfolio to apply to RISD, the work that I made. Oh, wow. Um, But when I got to RISD, a whole new world's opened up to me. And I think because I'd been in Denmark, I heard there was this Danish guy teaching woodworking. So I went down to see what that was about. And I could speak Danish at that point. And he was actually away. You're full of surprises, aren't you? (laughs) I don't speak much (laughs) Danish anymore. (laughs) But there was another Danish guy teaching a kind of intro class, and I took it and I fell in love with making things in wood. It was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And from there, I decided to switch from photography into furniture. But I have always done photography along the side, just personally. And and I just finished a piece, actually, that's going into a museum traveling exhibition. That's the first time I've actually used photography literally in a piece of furniture. So it was fun to bring them together after all these years. That's amazing. I mean, what do you think it brings to you in terms of being a maker and an artist and a designer to a position like this? You know, because unfortunately, I mean, in my opinion, so many of these institutions are being led just by business people, you know, that are sort of removed from the making aspect of it. You know, and I, I do think we're losing something in that. And I'm just curious what you've sort of found in your own experience. Yeah, well, I would make two points about that. One is that as a maker, designer, artist, one recognizes the highly intellectual nature of creating new works and what's involved to facilitate that for young people. 
So there's a practical side to it, which really amplifies the intellectual and contextual side of an education, a good education. The second side is that education itself is so complicated right now. The model is so broken mm -hmm. that it really, I think, takes the, a thinker who is a designer to actually think about how to take an institution forward and keep the quality high with all the challenges that we face with all the complexity of pedagogy changes and the financial models and yeah. all of the needs, what people expect out of the college experience. So people often say to me, how does it feel to have given up your design practice? And I said, I haven't given it up. I've just turned it into education and making a school and I still make one piece a year. But oh, that's great. <laughs> well, see, it's creative thinking, right? It's yeah. design thinking. And I love how you said that because I always say that it's like the art world and the arts communities are like really incubators of ideas. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we do best as a community. You right. know? And the challenges that we're facing as global challenges are not solved through the extension of existing knowledge. It's right. really about developing new ways of thinking. And, you know, I've often said artists can see around corners. They can see what isn't in front of them. They can see what hasn't happened yet. Everything they're doing all the time is about creating something that hasn't existed before. And that's the kind of thinking that we need to influence every industry, every humanitarian form of life that we're, you know, facing as really significant challenges. So I think our graduates are well poised to actually be desirable participants in making positive change in the world. I love it. I love everything you're saying. I think that's so true. So what should people know about this seven-year plan and about what you're working on right yeah. now? So let's start there and then we'll branch out from there. The last strategic plan which I was involved in helping to form was really about looking internally at how to make a stronger institution. Mm -hmm. We've done that, and RISD's in a really solid place. All our numbers are, you know, up, and things are really in a good place to yeah, take why, on big Yeah, why? Why is that? Because you know, that's I don't hear that all the time from schools. Know. You know, especially now. Why? Yeah. Well, I think that, as I said at the beginning, the importance and the relevance and the significance of an art and design education is being better understood. And RISD is a domain leader, so people seek out our. Right form of education, one of the two of the differentiators in our undergraduate programs are that we have unbelievable liberal arts and a third of the credit requirements are in the liberal arts. So we have scholars that are phenomenal in all areas that our students are interested in and some that they don't know they're interested in, but they need to be interested in. Yeah. And then we also have an incredible foundation year, which is this immersive year in really radicalizing your preconceptions about what it means to be an artist or designer and how to make and opening up the students into these incredible articulate thinkers through their hands and their media. So those are two differentiators at the undergraduate level. At the graduate level, we have unbelievable facilities and resources. Our museum is a phenomenon. Our library is world-class, our nature lab, all of these facilities that are all in one place that students have access to. And our graduate programs are increasingly international. So there's a global perspective on practice that mm -hmm. is very hard to get in one place so readily. So I think you know those things are known around the world. And so our application numbers have increased dramatically while other schools are suffering to fail their class. We are, And even closing. Yeah, and even yeah. closing. We're yeah. now in the top 100 selectivity schools in America 
We're the only art school in that category. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, and it's also, our faculty are unbelievable. And because we're so selective, the students in the classrooms, I mean, we often joke when we see shows of work of some of our students that we're glad we're not applying now because we're not sure, you know, that we'd get in. I mean, the competition (laughs) has gotten so significant. So it's really very inspiring to see what our students are thinking about, what incredible talent they're bringing to the classroom, and then our alumni, what they're doing in the world, which is a phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was a visiting critic at RISD a few years ago, and I'll tell you from my own experience, I found the students incredibly engaged, mm-hmm. not pretentious, mm-hmm. you know, super interested in making, Yeah, which was really, really interesting to see, yeah. but still super smart, well-read, you know, so I, I was impressed, I yeah, have to say, you. like, because I speak at schools and other things around the country, mm-hmm. and it seemed to have a good balance. Yeah, Do you know what you. I mean? Between, yeah. for whatever reason, yeah. you know, it's sort of that balance seems to have been struck really well. So kudos. I think the education is really rigorous, but also has an incredible depth to it. So a lot of people have said to me, well, I don't want to be a maker. I want to go out and I don't want to make after, you know, why would I go to RISD? And there are a lot of students that will never make again once they leave the school. They go into other industries. They become venture capitalists. They go into healthcare industries, insurance. I mean, a huge gamut of different industries But the fact that they know how to dissect an idea and give it a real outcome is a form of cognitive thinking that informs their work later. I can see when I see solutions or designs that people have made that haven't had that immersion in sort of real materials, real fabrication challenges, that there's often a lack of depth that I can just read it. You know, it's evident. And employers, when they come and see me, they say, why are your students so different than the other students that we hire? And I think it has a lot to do with that fact that there's just an incredible commitment to an idea when you have to bring it to real life. Right. Is it true one of the founders of Airbnb is from RISD? Is that true? Two of them. Yes. Did they start that at RISD? Well, so it's Joe Gebbia and Brian Chesky. Because I always hear this story, so I'm, I'm glad I get it from this source, yeah. you know. They didn't start it at RISD, although Joe did found the basketball team, which he calls his first startup. And Brian actually was on the hockey team. They were very athletic, and still are. But they became roommates in San Francisco. Mm. And so there was a big design conference and all the rooms were sold out. And so they had this idea of taking the air mattress out of their closet and renting it out in the living room, which they did. And that's why it's called Airbnb, because it came from this air mattress that they own. And, you know, it's been an incredible story, really. And they're both... What really I find so moving about their development is that at every hurdle, they found a way to make the business better. And they've had lots of hurdles, but that's their design education, and they, they will affirm that. They also learned at RISD how to seek out knowledge that they didn't have because you can't possibly know everything to start a business. But if you read the book, the Airbnb story that's written about them, they they had the um, kind of audacity in a way, but also the knowledge about what they didn't know and how to seek it out. So they were very well informed along the way about growing not just the business, but a whole new way of understanding hospitality and experience. Yeah. I mean, I bring that up because I think that sort of also illustrates a little bit of this design thinking we're mm-hmm. talking about, right? This creative problem solving yeah. that people, you know, learn in art schools and often apply to the quote unquote real world. Yeah. <laughs> Though I kind of hate that term because everything is the real exactly. world really at the end of the day. Okay. So let's get back to the seven year plan. Okay. Before I go there, I'll just give you a little bit of a personal thing, which is right. I'm not crazy about the term design thinking. We use it at RISD. Everyone uses it. But 
I don't it, blame you because I, I kind of understand some of the critique. Let's hear it. Go yeah, ahead. So, you know, because it's kind of a design doing. It's a much more active process. Thinking is active, of course, but there are other factors that make innovation possible beyond thinking. One of the concerns that I have is that there are other entities, other kinds of programs that think, okay, we'll add a course in design thinking, and now everyone will be using design. And design is a rigorous Mm-hmm. effort. It's a whole curriculum. It's an evolution. And it's not like the mayonnaise on a sandwich, you know. So yeah. there are people that use design thinking in what I think is a somewhat frivolous way. So I'm always a little cautious about putting RISD in that category because what we do is so That's much fair. more rigorous. I mean, it's become so corporatized where it, it sort has, of becomes yeah. like one of those check marks on a PowerPoint. Exactly. So I understand, but yeah. I think we're talking about the original design That's thinking. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Not the corporatized yes, kind exactly. of... Uh, okay, right. so let's get back so to the seven-year seven plan. Yeah. Yes. So in this new plan, we're really looking externally. There are kind of three main pillars. One is just societies, one is sustainability, and one is development of new knowledge and ways of practice. So these are all areas that have major potential for external impact, and we feel Mm -hmm. ready to take this on. This has been a process that has evolved from the interests of our students, Mm -hmm. which have been huge drivers in moving RISD forward, and from the expertise of our faculty. And bringing those conversations together has created the plan. And the plan was the first plan in RISD's history with 100% endorsement from the faculty and the board of trustees. So that gives you a sense of the kind of involvement to build this plan. But the Just Society's part... What's your your secret sauce, Roseanne? That's that's impressive. Well, I mean, I don't think there's 100% consensus on anything. I know. I mean, I was, I have to confess, I was shocked. But... um, (laughs) It's because we have a really solid leadership team right now, like amazing. I feel really lucky that we've built this incredible team and our faculty and students are so engaged. We've created mutually a platform where the kind of conversations can happen about how can art and design and the scholarship that we teach in our liberal arts make greater impact in the world. And mm-hmm. who doesn't want to do that? Who's you know devoted their life to that? Absolutely. So, and also, I think everyone recognizes that there are some significant challenges in terms of where we're headed, and people want to divert the path, right, in different directions. And so creative thinkers and those who actually can think nimbly and differently are the ones who are actually going to make these positive changes happen. The other thing is that RISD has become really global, and we have alumni in 93 countries, so almost half the world at this point. And Practice is really global. So in our classrooms, there's a sense of cross-cultural influence that is affecting everyone's ability to understand how to think beyond their own sort of circle. So how are you reflecting the world in the classroom and in the school? We're putting a lot of investment into rethinking our pedagogies. So we Mm -hmm. have a new degree also, a master's degree in global arts and cultures, plural, which is looking at rethinking the way that culture and art history are defined globally taking in all peoples, not Mm -hmm. just the sort of Western canon, really working on decolonizing the curriculum, which is, you know, the kind of currency of the moment. But we're investing in our faculty. So we've created a teaching and learning lab that's actually taking 12 faculty each semester, releasing them from a class and making them students Mm. so that they can spend the time to really think about redeveloping pedagogy that reflects the new world and the world of the future. So that's a huge investment that we're making in our faculty. We're also developing a whole new arm within the strategic plan for supporting 
research in art and design through our faculty. So that's the kind of new knowledge piece. Yeah. Has anything come out of it yet that you can talk about or something specific that you think would be an example of how that sort of exists in the world? Yeah. You know, the plan launched this month, yeah. but we've been building off of work mm -hmm. that's already been happening. So we have created a version of and we'll probably update an inclusive teaching pedagogy guide, which we would share with other Great. interested participants. We're also in our museum changing our collecting to really reflect the voices of underrepresented artists, which is very important to our populations at RISD. And we're also deeply engaged in lecturing and publishing beyond the walls of RISD. But if I can, I want to go back to Just Societies because sure. I think it reflects from that perspective, which is that we're looking at this on many levels. One is just access to a RISD education. We've done and made an enormous investment into changing our policies and procedures and admissions and enrollment mm -hmm. and support of first-gen students and students from underrepresented groups and providing not just scholarship money, because that's not enough in and of itself, but mentorship funds for materials, for travel, for internships. So we've created a whole program around really changing access to art and design education because for schools to be forward thinking, they have to be inclusive. The world is changing at such a fast rate that schools that don't understand that and don't take that on internally and structurally will be irrelevant in 10 years. Right. And so that's a huge commitment of ours. So aside from the enrollment piece, and that also affects who we're hiring to teach, who we're hiring as staff members, there is also the sense of the work itself being engaged in communities around the world and how can we teach through practice the importance of connecting to, in Providence, we have an organization that welcomes new refugees. Our students are working directly with families in those groups. We're working with cultures around the globe with things like women's rights, healthcare, clean water access, urban traffic, and what happens to communities as urbanization changes, just many different topics that talk about justice in societies around the globe. And our liberal arts classes and the new courses that are being taught there are really focusing on these areas of scholarship because our students care. So can we talk a little bit about yeah. what your interest in these topics are, like why you are committed to this, you know, personally as well? Because I think a lot of these things we know are things that people take on nowadays because yeah. they're sort of trendy and popular sure. and all these sort of like buzzwords. Yeah. But I'd love to hear a little bit about your own sort of vested interest in this, what it represents in your own practice, yeah. in your own life, and what you see in your your own vision of the world. Yeah, you know, it probably it relates back to my own upbringing and mm -hmm. the way that my family was structured and our friends and, you know, activities. And I was volunteering from a very young age. I was teaching kids in Philadelphia reading who were illiterate. And just as a kid, I mean, I was a kid myself, but I just had a fascination with understanding my responsibility because I had certain privileges. And I think as a school, we're in a position where we have certain privileges. And, it, and I feel it is our deep responsibility to use those for common good. So it's a yeah. personal perspective. And it is kind of buzzy, but it's better that this is buzzy than that other <laughs> things are buzzy, right? Like there could be some really bad buzzy things. Amen. And we're also up against some significant, without getting too political, you know, challenges that yeah. deeply affect the young people of this world. And That's so right. we want to be a place where the creative ideas are fostered that can take on positive change. So I think it's a personal thing. It's a commitment that I have that is from who I am as a human being. Yeah. But it's also, 
I am so moved by our students and their stories. I mean, I sat next to, I'm reluctant to say a name or, you know, even a field because we're protective of these kids, but we have DACA kids. And I, you know, sat next to them in events and heard their stories and they're unbelievable. You know, another story of a woman who grew up totally in foster homes, abused, horrible history. And one high school art teacher saw her potential and helped her navigate getting into RISD. And she's now the successful designer. And it's like, those are the stories that, you know, keep me moving and working so hard because you can see concretely that this education changes lives. And that's just the individuals. But then you think about how that projects out into their audiences. And it's it's a really inspiring thing to be involved in. Well, you touched on something I'm glad you brought up because I wanted to talk about it. Because I feel like now, having traveled to many art schools and and universities, the way the world is right now... Mm -hmm. For a lot of students, a lot of this news impacts them very deeply. You mentioned DACA. I mean, how does a student, a DACA student, how does RISD help a student like that that has to deal with not just their work, but all this psychological stuff that's going on? This almost psychological, I mean, I don't want to use the term warfare, but it almost can feel like that, I think, you know, with all these messages. And particularly when you're trying to diversify and reach out to communities that may not have been so central to the conversation Mm -hmm. before, there needs to be another piece of that puzzle, right? Absolutely. So how is RISD dealing with that? Because I imagine it's been probably difficult for the last couple of years. And I would say, quite honestly, we're not perfect, but we're really committed to becoming strong in this area. So it's a big part of this new plan is a whole section on health and wellness. And it's part of the Just Societies piece. That's one of the more internal pieces. So we're really revamping the way that we counsel students, the way that we mentor students. We're developing a whole network of alumni mentors who are committing to working with individual students. And we also have in our student affairs area support for individual students that's very robust. So there are people that are in contact with students who are coming from difficult backgrounds all the time. Right. So we do it on multiple fronts. But this particular generation of college students is the most anxious and lonely in history. I mean, there are lots of statistics about it. Some of it has to do with technology and just sort of the way that people live through their phones or their, you know, their their devices. And some of it has to do with just like turning on the news. So it's a challenge for educators to think about the holistic experience of being a student. And that's part of this plan is to think about the students in and out of the classroom. And, you know, whereas it's not just providing services, it's providing an internal map for these students so that they can guide themselves through life. We're trying to teach them how to be active, positive, healthy citizens. I have a exercise with the president thing that I do. So I have like on a certain morning, we uh, have a trainer come in and we exercise and lift weights together. I mean, it's just showing by example that you have to put this stuff into your life. Our food in our dining halls is really healthy food. And we connect with local sustainable farmers and purveyors to provide food from the area. So we won awards for our food, actually, but it's because it's part of the quality of life. But beyond that, there's also food insecurity that's happening in a lot of colleges. And so we've created this thing called Swipe It Forward, where students, if they have meals left on their meal plan, can put them in a a bank and students who need access to meals can take from the bank. So we're really trying to... Well, that's great. How's that working? It's working really well. You know, it's it's an expense for the college, but we believe in it for our students. And we're learning because students don't necessarily speak out about 
the challenges they're having financially and feeding themselves and taking care of themselves. And so we're proactively getting ahead of it. Speaking of financials, I mean, one of the biggest things I keep hearing is people going, you know, college is so expensive. School yeah. is so expensive. And yeah. I mean, RISD, I'm sure, falls into that bucket. We do. Um, you know, how do you answer that? How do you deal with that problem? Because it's clearly not focused just on RISD. It's right. a social issue. Yeah. It's a bigger issue. But it's certainly, I mean, RISD is being one of the most prominent art schools mm-hmm. in the country is certainly a focus of that. It is. And that's where being a designer helps, you know, because because it is a design problem. It's the financial model of education is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And part of it is, I mean, the biggest expense is the human expense, the mm-hmm. faculty and staff and, uh, you know, all of our salaries and benefits. And then at RISD, we have extraordinary facilities and, you know, I think 1.9 million square feet or something of facilities, like a huge wow. physical campus with every kind of art making facility and a museum and a phenomenal library, etc. That's a so lot of square footage. It is. And so... To it, give people a sense, I think the Metropolitan Museum is a million square foot. Right. So this is So this more, is double this the is, Metropolitan right. Gallery. It's but. like 64 buildings. So yeah. it's, it's big, but... We're not so efficient in how we use those. So there have been multiple. During the first three years of my presidency, we had the lowest tuition increases in the history of the college. And we eked it up a little bit, but we're still keeping it lower than our peers, much lower than our Rhode Island exclusive you know, college peers, etc. Like Brown and others? Yeah, is what we're yeah. Talking about? and you know, we have a great relationship with Brown. But you know, Brown is giving much more financial aid than we are, but we are keeping our costs lower. But in addition to that, we're really investing in fundraising, and we're doing very well. There, we're putting a big effort in graduate scholarships, which we're making huge progress on. Can you give us an inkling of what that progress looks like? I could give you a better inkling in about a month. I'll just <laughs> say that um, the average debt for undergraduate students in America is around thirty thousand dollars. Ours is around thirty-one thousand. So we're mm-hmm. in keeping. It's still a phenomenal amount. Yep. But at the graduate level at RISD, for students who have debt, the average is ninety thousand. So that like wow. keeps me up at night. And we're also losing some of the most talented graduate applicants to other schools who are sponsoring their their education. So we'll be announcing in about a month a really big gift that awesome. will be the biggest financial aid gift in our history that is specifically geared towards graduate education. It's endowed. That's great. And then we're working on a, another gift that will be an immediate use gift so that we can look at, at really trying to figure out the students who just cannot financially support their education, how we can get them to come to RISD. Because we hear again and again, RISD was my first choice, but how could I compete with a full ride at X you know, right, school? Right, right, right. So do you have a sense of when, when students leave RISD, what they go into? Do we? Do you have a good sense of what that, what that looks like? We do. So I'll talk about that in a second, but sure. I just want to say one other thing, because it's not just about tuition and it's not just about fundraising. We've actually gone internally and made this very concerted effort to cut costs internally without affecting the education. We're investing in the academic programs. We're investing in the museum. Mm -hmm. But we've cut, as of this year, we'll cut about $6 million annual operating costs. Or or actually not only cuts, but cutting and bringing in new revenues. So we're looking, again, from the design perspective of models of bringing new revenue into the college that aren't just tuition-based or degree tuition-based. So we're doing a lot more with other resources that we have access to that we can bring in, like continuing education programs. 
We've done some executive education programs. We're doing some special events things. And those are generating other kinds of revenues that Mm -hmm. are actually going to support the students. So it's a combination of also a lot of belt tightening and realizing that we've done certain things for certain ways and analyzing every expense and saying, do we need to do it this way? And how can we do it more effectively? Absolutely. So when students leave RISD, yes. what does that look like? What have you guys found? Because I'm sure yeah. the alumni department's all over this. Yes. So we, <laughs> we did our recent alumni survey, the first in a long time. And of the students that responded, 45% had started their own businesses or organizations. That's wow, a huge that's a big percent. Number. It's, you know, higher than Harvard and MIT, for example, which, cool. you know, are terrific schools producing a lot of really entrepreneurial individuals, it's really a high number. Is that because of the nature of the work? Like meaning like graphic so. designers start their own little gigs Yeah, a and lot of people have their know. own studios. Yeah, but yeah. I think also, you know, many of our students go out to work for other companies for mm-hmm. a period of time, but their dream is to have their own brand or their own studio or their own, you know, practice. And they're very ambitious. They're very driven. And their work is in demand. So... Mm-hmm. We're very fortunate in that way. I will say, though, that we have two portfolio days when companies come and interview our students for internships and jobs, and those are increasing every year, and the the scope of who comes to those is increasing. So, you know, years ago, it used to be on the design day, design firms, architecture firms, interior design firms, graphic design firms. Now it really is venture capitalists. It's insurance companies. It's banks. It's what do venture capitalists healthcare. want from this? They want the creativity of people that can spot trends, that can think about, some, you know, what's coming, what's important, what's well-designed. Gotcha. So, um, you know, our students... So the field's changing. I mean, that's really the whole big message here. Absolutely. The field's changing really fast, too. It's really changing. And also, I hear again and again that the work ethic of our students is unmatched and, you know, from companies that hire them. And the ability to conceive ideas for new things that that aren't evident is a really valuable competency. Creativity is a valuable competency. Right. That's incredible. I want to make sure, though, that I do get a chance to talk about the other two pillars of the plan. Let's do it. Yes. So the second pillar is sustainability, which again, you could say buzzword, but like we really need it. And Super important. Yeah. And so it's sustainability on two fronts. One is just as an educational institution to make sure that we can sustain our excellence and advance it. So that's one thing. And mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about the model. The other is about the role of climate change and the role that art and design play in sustainability principles. So We believe that living systems and sciences and design need to work more closely together. We have an incredible nature lab, which is a resource, a sort of collection of incredible natural specimens. And it also has electron microscopes and data visualization equipment. But we're partnering with local universities that are experts in coastal climate change. URI has an incredible marine sciences area. And we're looking at things like the design of reestablishing shellfish habitats at coastal climates where there is climate change. You know, we're looking at... Oh, just small projects. Just small projects, exactly. <laughs> we had a course called Oyster Texture. Um, we also um, are... In our, that, that's incredible. Yeah. I, I think that sounds like a great class. It was great. And actually, the, uh, there were different um, structures that were formed, and artists had sort of a hand in one more than one of the ones that had... a. The scientists more involved and the the oysters preferred the artist one just saying 
But anyway, we also, in our interior architecture department, they created a game, a virtual reality game, that you could use to go through a city and look at the effect on the architecture of coastal rise uh, in, yeah. at different levels yep, so that yep. you could think about how one prepares for that and what the implications are of that. So we're doing these really concrete projects. We have a whole new degree in nature, culture, sustainability studies, a master's degree and an undergraduate concentration. So we're really building faculty expertise in these areas. And, you know, looking in our textiles and fashion department about sustainable materials and dyes and furniture and industrial design and graphic, and all of our departments talking about how materials, the supply chain issues, the use and reuse issues, there are lots of different concrete ways that we're looking at sustainability principles. But ultimately, we see design and science as partners in solving these challenges so we're committed to having an important role in that i'm so glad you're pro-science in this day and age that's that says a lot absolutely we've increased our science curriculum like tenfold in in the last few years and um, also our research we're doing a lot of research that is being funded by the nsf um, which is rare for an art school Right. That's the National Science Foundation? Yes, Yes, sorry, yes. The third platform that is part of the plan is around the creation of new knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in our view, it's not just the creation of, but the distribution of that knowledge. So we're investing a lot in a new teaching and learning center that will have a big research focus. We're looking at giving our faculty time to actually do rigorous research that we can then help them to put out in the world. And, you know, artists and designers define research somewhat differently than other disciplines. So we're actually trying to define what that means at RISD. We have a fantastic new provost, Kent Kleinman, who is leading this effort and really looking at what it means to teach in an art and design school in the 21st century and how to take the advancement of knowledge to the highest level possible. Got it. So it's a really exciting part of the plan. So let's talk a little bit about your personal experience with art in general. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about, you talked about your brother. Mm-hmm. Now, is there an artwork or something that still feeds your soul, as it were, that you sort of look at, you sort of visit, you may sort of like engage with? I'm just curious, anything like that. It's interesting that you asked that, because I just came back from Paris where I was you know, involved with the Maison en Objet event over there. And I went to the Musée des Arts Décoratifs, and there's this room of furniture that, um, or two rooms of furniture from you know, the early parts of the 20th century that were so influential to me when I was deciding to study furniture design. And I look at them very differently now. I have different criteria, but it helped me to sort of map my own life, to think what it was like when I saw these as a 20-year-old, what it was like, you know, throughout my life, I visited those rooms. So, you know- I love this story, keep going. (laughs) (laughs) What the difference is and what you've learned as a person and as a practitioner that helps you to see them differently. I still love those pieces, but I have different criteria now. Yeah. I also went here in New York to see the Annie Albers and Paul Clay show yesterday. Right. And speaking um, with Mary Moss, who's been involved with RISD, who's a phenomenon, about the Bauhaus and the role of the Bauhaus in education and then where design education is going, art and design education is going moving forward. So I wanted to see these works in person, the Paul Clay and Annie Albers, and... It really just was a kind of reminder about the inventiveness of the artistic mind. On the one hand, very formal with Annie Albers, who had this, you know, kind of structured system, but still very inventive with materials affected by 
across cultures. She attributed Peruvian weavers to be her big influences as much as the Bauhaus. Mm -hmm. And then Paul Clay, who, you know, is just always talked about taking a line for a walk. And again, those were references that I looked at through every decade of my life. So it's, it's fun to reflect on those. In terms of Contemporary stuff, you know, people often ask me about my own work and what I feel is like my most important work. And my answer without giving too much thought is always like the thing I'm about to make. You know, for me, it's the process as much as it's the process of growing an idea and then finding the right materials and the right conditions for that thing to live in the world. Well, that's what makes you an artist, right? It's not just about the final product. It's I feel like the journey is such a huge part of it. The journey is so huge. And I think that's why it's helpful to be artist designer as a president is that I know that journey. I respect that journey so much. And I feel very fortunate to have had a wonderful career as an artist designer. And I want to create the conditions now for the next generation to have their, their time and their opportunity. And their needs and interests are very different than mine, and I'm aware of that. But I want to figure out how to hear them, how to really listen to what their interests are, and then create the environment that supports that in the best way. That's great. Can we talk a little bit about the RISD Museum? Yes. I mean, I think it's such a unique thing that an art school like RISD Mm -hmm. has this frankly, a fantastic museum. Yeah. And not only is it contemporary and modern, it's historical. Yeah. The ancient collection is phenomenal. And recently, we wrote about the fact that there's a Benin bronze in the collection. Mm-hmm. And for those who do not know, Benin is sort of a region around present-day Nigeria. And the museum has been working to return this object. That's right. Which, unheard of. Yeah. I mean, there are very few museums that ever do anything like this. That's right. But the peculiarity of this situation is that they're having trouble figuring out who to return it to. Mm-hmm. Do you want or to talk to a little bit about it? And what do you think, maybe even if you can comment about what the role of the museum is in the bigger sort of like mission of RISD sure. and in the education? Sure. Well, I mean, we're so lucky to have the museum of the caliber that we have under John Smith's leadership and an incredible roster of curators. Mm-hmm. And so our students and the public have access to 100,000 objects of extraordinary quality. People are always shocked when they come to the RISD Museum to see what's there, and only 4% of what we own is on display. So our students have access to storage, which is really amazing. But I do think that museums, they're intended for the public good, so they have to be leading voices in helping move society forward. And our director and curators are very enlightened individuals, so... The issue of restitution is very complicated, and you did a great piece on it. And you know, in your coverage of the some of the challenges, we have made progress since that. Again, I'm hesitant to talk about it because some of it is information, yeah. but I will say, just sort of as an overview, that the way that we feel will make this resolve in the most positive way is to partner with some other institutions that are going through the same challenges right. and and to help lead that conversation so that we make sure that we can complete this process with integrity and with our intentions fulfilled. And the political and cultural climate of restitution in the receiving end is very complex. So we want to make sure that we're standing as a leader in doing this in the most appropriate and effective way. One thing that we did do was we brought a contemporary artist from Nigeria who works in the same tradition as the Benin head, the same materials, the same format, and had that artist come and lecture to our students at RISD so that we can use this as a teaching moment about the evolution of how 
This history has affected contemporary art, contemporary practice, and so there is a continuum where it isn't just about the sort of looting and the horror of you know what happened that got that object to us in the 30s, but to say where has that gone culturally moving forward and to use that as an opportunity, an educational opportunity for our students. So the actual act of the research and the process has enabled us to actively involve ourselves with the contemporary voices as well as with the sort of political voices. Yeah. So why is it so important to have that museum there? You mentioned the students have access to the collection, yeah. which I guess means they can like go and ask for items to look at them, to yeah. sketch them, to yeah. whatever they need to do. Are classes taking place in the museum? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, so we, that's, and that's, also, it's an int integrated sort absolutely. of. Absolutely. Yes, and we integrated. also have the local Providence school system and and surrounding school systems, there's some real problems with the public schools. And we also have a lot of private schools. School children are in there all the time for classes. We actually pay for the transportation. We, we set up buses because we were hearing from teachers they didn't have the budget to bring kids to the museum. So we actually go pick them up, bring them and take them back. And oh, then we give all the kids um, free passes to bring their families back to the museum. So it's... That's great. Yeah. That's it's really in our great. mission. That Do you have a sense of how many of them take uh, take you up yeah. on that? Well, we have about 30,000 kids coming through each year. Nice. And so many of them are bringing their families back. I don't know the exact number right. of returns, but I could easily find out because we do document it. It's in our original mission that part of our our mission is to educate the public about works of art. So, you know, ain't nothing like the real thing, baby, right? That's like, right. You know, a, a lot of art history classes are looking at images and you know we can take our students there's just a different energy of seeing an object in person and yeah. and i can't emphasize it enough the risd museum is a really excellent museum it's i a mean treasure. you have like impressionism you have i mean it's just baroque i mean it's just it's a big surprise it is i think for surprise. most people that show up there yeah and there are areas that people like our prints and drawings are phenomenal our costume and textiles are incredible and you guys have had a lot of good touring exhibitions we have we've been showing we've been having to turn down exhibitions because we have so many re loan requests but we've shown in you know that all the major museums of the world and have great relationships with many of them so and we're doing an amazing show right now which 50 years ago Andy Warhol came to the museum and did raid the icebox which was the first uh, the beginning of a genre of artists coming and working with existing collections and making installations using uh, objects of their own and objects from the collection and that genre has become a popular yeah, genre it's everywhere. in museums. But I didn't realize RISD was one of the first places to do that. It was the first. The it first? started at the RISD Museum. So Okay, that... I think people will realize how influential that yeah, is exactly. because I mean that now it's you can't go a biennial without that. Right. You well, know? it's at least the first that Andy Warhol was involved in, but I think it was the beginning of the genre. So this year in the 50th anniversary, we're bringing 10 contemporary artists back to each have their moment with the collection. And there's a phenomenal roster of artists. People can look it up on the website, RISD Museum, Raid the Icebox. Mm -hmm. and, and can you tell some of the names? Have they been announced yet? Uh, yes, they're all on the website. Okay. Nicole Eisman is going to be there. Um, Great. It's an amazing list of artists. Yeah. And uh, Are they all alumni or is it just a cross-section? No, Nicole yeah. is, but it's a cross-section. If Several right. of them are alums. But um, there are public programming parts to it so people can get involved. But certainly we'll do a very good online um, presence. And also we do a publication in the museum called Manual, 
which will feature some of the principles of what's being developed in the museum. But we're very excited about it. I, I noticed there was one of the things, the museum also creates things like coloring books and yeah. other things for students, which I think is great. I yeah. mean, I'd never, I'd never realized it was such an active sort of like engaging with the students. So yeah. kudos Again, to that too. Again, it's in our mission. Yeah. It really is. And, you know, our alumni have lifelong memberships. So a lot of them come back and visit favorite objects that really influence them. And the programming is always evolving at the museum. We, ha As I said, our curators are so strong. So there are very few museums that have the ability to collect a whole new generation of underrepresented artists. So we're having internship programs with different interns, different curators who we're trying to develop diverse curators as well as diverse students and faculty. So reinterpreting our collection, looking at our history, rethinking about how artwork is represented and what it says and who's in it and who's labeled. And it's such a great teaching environment. So, okay, President Summerson, let's imagine <laughs> 10 years in the future. Yeah. Everything goes according to plan. Yeah. Do you know? What will RISD look like? What in your perfect world would yeah. this college become? Yeah. I think we would become this hub of where new knowledge is being created in a really visible way, where artists and designers are thriving and defining new ways of practice, where the most talented and brightest students from around the globe are accepted and can afford to get in and be there, where our faculty are supporting new forms of thinking that the arts and design can uniquely contribute to, and where we're making an impact that is like a pebble in a pond where it's in our local region, we care a lot about our community, but where that sense of community is building out across the globe so that the importance of art and design and what it can achieve, what our alumni are achieving is known throughout the world. Wow. Well, thank you, President <laughs> Summerson. That was excellent. And I'm glad to learn more about what's going on at RISD and talk to you. Thank you. Come visit. Thank you. <laughs> A special thanks this week to musician Sophie Hintz, whose song, Coffee in the Rain, is what you're listening to. You can learn more about Sophie Hintz's music at sophiehintz.com. I'm Hirag Vartanyan, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Hyperallergic. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your week. Send you off in that early car Don't know what I did that for At times I wish we didn't start Cause some things you can't ignore I wanna do it right with you Have our nights and breakfast too I walk the streets, I 